Blog Talk Radio. Good morning and welcome to the Bless You Boys podcast for Saturday, May the 2nd, 2015. I'm your host, Hook Slide, ready to recap yet another week's worth of Tigers baseball for you all. And for our first-time listeners, the Bless You Boys podcast is a feature of the Bless You Boys website. That's uh, SB Nation's Detroit Tigers blog. You can find us on the web at www.blessyouboys.com. You can follow us on Twitter at Bless You Boys. And like us on Facebook. If you just search for Bless You Boys, you'll find us there. Get like on our page and you'll get lots of great uh, content, Tigers-related baseball content in your news feed. So it was a week. It was a week of baseball. Some ups, some downs. But for me, the highlight of the week has to be that sixth inning in Minnesota on Wednesday with the Tigers down 7-3. to three. Take a listen. Twins a lot more than last year with San Diego. Fly ball, left center field. Way back in left. Watch it fly. Upper oh. deck in left center field. Home run for Cabrera. A monster shot. Number four in the Tigers trail, seven to four. Two one. Swinging a fly ball, left field, fairly deep, uh, and that ball is going to get over the fence. Wow! Left fielder Escobar was going back, it looked like to play it, and the ball just kept going. J.D. Martinez with number six, and the Tigers within two, seven to five. Four walks, four strikeouts for nine. Fly ball to center field, fairly deep. Schaefer's going back, back some more onto the warning track. He's going to reach out, he's going to kick off the wall and hug the wall all the way into right center field. Into score comes Castellano. Look at away, McCann around third. Throw from the outfield is up the line. Inside the park home run. James McCann. First career home run. He has to circle the bases. Beat the throw. 7-7 tie in the six. Well, if you're going to get your first MLB career home run, that's one way to do it, right, Mr. McCann? (laughs) I tell you, of course, that's uh, Dan Dickerson on the call with WXYT and the Tigers Radio Network. And joining me today in the virtual studio for this episode of the Bless You Boys podcast is Bless You Boys staff writer John Erickle. John, thanks for stopping by. Hey, great to be here, Hookslide. Always nice to follow Dan Dickerson. That gets you pumped up and ready to go. (laughs) That's right. You know, if you don't feel good about Tigers baseball, and, and I'm sure some of us don't at the moment, that's one good way to get the, get the uh, old adrenaline, you know, going and the optimism flowing again. Just a little bit of Dan Dickerson does the uh, does the old heart good, right? Absolutely, and I needed it too because I was a little bit worried about how I was going to do here today. I was, you know, I was warming up in the podcast bullpen, and uh, <laughs> I'll tell you, my my opinions were a little flat. Uh, my anecdotes, <laughs> I had no command at all. Uh, one-liners, I had no control over them. Basically, I got nothing. 
Uh, my analysis is all over the place. I'm going to have to get by on Moxie and Guile today because I'm bringing nothing out of the bullpen. All right, bring you know a lot what they of say? They say the, the mark of a true professional is when you can get by without your best stuff. So, you know, I'm a big Moxie guy. Well, there Here you go. go. Lots of heart, lots of grit, lots of playing the podcast the right way today. But, but right. uh, yeah, we're on we're on a <laughs> bit of a, a a downward slump here, John, after the, the last two games with Kansas City. And, of course, you know, you don't want to go into full doom mode after two games uh, with the Royals. And yet, on the other hand, you have to look at what took place in these last two games and say, you know, the Tigers just seem really overmatched. Uh, they look a little bit, you know, over their heads with the Royals. What do you think so far? Well, yeah, you know, you're right. you got to strike that balance because, yeah, I was thinking back last year, for instance, in May, uh, the Tigers went into Kansas City on their field and kicked the crap out of them for three days. You know, but in the end, they were these are two teams that were duking it out in September. So even though the results in May looked pretty pro-Tigers, it didn't really skew that way the rest of the year. I mean, it was a tight race. So you don't want to put too much into a couple of lousy games in Kansas City. Um, but certainly there's still a weekend of baseball left, so you got to hope they can turn it around and do a little bit better. Uh, the big thing to me is just the offense. It's just, it's just kind of the doldrums. I mean, there's been so many games this year. And it's hard, you know, I don't want to sound too negative. They're 15-9, and nine and, <laughs> and that's pretty solid. Uh, but there's just been so many games where they've scored two runs or less. Um, uh, after that hot start, that hot start masked a lot of things. And I just, I think what we're seeing now, since they've been, I think, 5-8 and eight over the last 13, uh, uh, the offense is a little worrisome. Now, I was thinking this morning, if you put a, if baseball had a, uh, a music background, like a soundtrack, <laughs> like a movie does, mm-hmm. uh, the first, you know, the first 10, 11 games, this, this was, I'm telling funk, you know, it was going, it was going good, but I don't know what you'd call the last <laughs> dozen games. It's a bit of a, a slightly more morbid, maybe the Alanis Morissette tunes to it or something. I don't know. <laughs> I, I would not prepared to go in this direction, John. <laughs> <laughs> What is it, Jagged Little Pill? Or which, yeah. which Menace Morris the soundtrack are we going to? Isn't it ironic there? or whatever? It's like uh, oh, there you rain go. on your wedding day no, or but, whatever she said, yeah. Yes, yes. And now, like you said, I mean, it's, it's tough to be too down about, you know, being 15 and 9, and they are only a game and a half back in the standings, and I'm not even one to, you know, um, advocate watching the standings, you know, this early in the season, because, you know, as you know, right. just a week's worth of games can totally turn the standings upside down on, you know, turn it on its head. Uh, I was, I was just posting on Twitter uh, yesterday and looking at the way that the, the uh, Tigers and the Royals are, are stacked up uh, in terms of their offense and their defense and ranking them by war, um, you know, the war stat. It's a very, mm-hmm. very close matchup in terms of the, um, just the American League baseball teams in offense right now. Kansas City sits in first, uh, so they're they're the best offensive team in the American League right now. But Detroit is third, so they're right behind them. On defense, Kansas City is first again, and, but Detroit is is fifth. And you know, so there, it's, there's not a huge gap there. The gaps begin when you look at the starting rotation. In which case, it's the Tigers who have the huge advantage. They sit first in the American League in WAR by starting rotation. Kansas City is sitting at 11th, so they're way down the line. And then, of course, when you go to the bullpen, you get the exact opposite. Kansas City is sitting second in the American League in war, uh, and Detroit is sitting 12th. So you've got a little bit of flip-flop there between the starting rotation and the bullpen, but in terms of you know everything else, the offense, the defense, it, it seems like a really, really close match. 
uh, you know, how do you see the rest of these these uh, season series playing out? Well, you know, as the Tigers started ten and one, obviously they had some things that weren't going to continue. I mean, um, uh, Jose Iglesias is not going to push four hundred uh, as a batting average, and uh, Shane Green wasn't going to have an O thirty nine ERA all you know for the whole year. So we knew that was going to happen, um, but that's a two-way street. I mean, Kansas City has some guys that are performing to levels that, you know, typically you don't see. I mean, they had that guy, uh, Apollo, come up and have, you know, five triples and seven hits, you know, and those things aren't going to keep happening. Mike Moustakis is having, having you know, uh, the best 100, 100 at-bats of his career. So where is he going to go? I mean, has he made a real change, or is he just hot for a month? Uh, so – there's going to be some ebb and flow to all of this. I don't see Kansas City as being tremendously more talented than the Tigers overall. I think they're fairly evenly matched. Um, I just think right now uh, Kansas City's offense is performing at a really high level, and uh, I, I still have questions if they're going to maintain that throughout the year. Yeah, and that's I mean that's a fair point. Like I said, the offense is pretty evenly matched when you look at the way these two teams stack up against each other. In theory. The Tigers have the big advantage in the starting rotation, and yet I think, you know, as, as we've seen these last couple of games, that the starting rotation doesn't have their stuff. And, you know, we, yeah. we all kind of expected that Alfredo Simon would come down a little bit. You can't expect, you know, ace-like work out of, uh, you know, Kyle Lobstein. I think he did a fine job last <laughs> night after a rough, you know, first inning. But oh, it seems no like when, if, if, yeah, if we're, if we're going to have any success against the Royals, it really has to be, I think, in that area of the starting rotation, being able to shut down their offense while our offense has to come up, you know, and, and do what they're capable of doing. Well, the starting rotation to me has always been the big X factor for the Tigers going into this year. Um, you know, I was the Debbie Downer of the predictions at BYB. I went with the under 500 this year, and I still think the Tigers are very talented and could win the division. But the reason I went out on a little bit of a limb was I don't trust the starting rotation. And I think we're starting to see a few cracks. Uh, and it doesn't mean they're, they're going to keep pitching poorly. I mean, Shane Green could very easily turn it around after. There's only two bad starts. Simon's had one bad start. Um, but, boy, when you, when you look at how this team is built um, and how they've been built in the past, it's been about that starting rotation. Um, by hmm. relentlessly taking the ball and just you know, putting out a quality start after quality start. Um, now, uh, I have major reservations of where this is going to go. I mean, what kind of pitcher is Shane Green? Uh, Alfredo Simon started hot, but then when you look at what he did last year, he was very hot and then got very cold uh, for the rest of the year. And Justin Verlander is MIA. So, We'll have to see how it goes, uh, but I agree. I mean, it's really uh, right now uh, the starting pitching has carried the Tigers to this point uh, to get to 15-9, and nine, and it's just a matter of will they seal up a couple of these little cracks that we've seen. And you brought up Justin Verlander there, and I think, you know, at first uh, Kyle Lobstein was able to come in and do a, a fairly serviceable job, you know, filling that spot with uh, Verlander out with the sore triceps. I think we're getting to the point now, though, where we kind of get that feeling of like it's it's time. We we got to have Verlander back in that rotation to really push it mm -hmm. to that next level. And the latest report that I've heard is that he's going to Chicago to get another MRI done uh, next yep. week. I mean, how 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 bad do the Tigers need Verlander back in that rotation, John? 
Oh, well, listen, Kyle Lobstein uh, is, like you mentioned a minute ago, he did a great job last night. He's done a good job overall. When he took over for Anibal Sanchez last year, he did very well. Um, but let's face it, he is a sixth, seventh kind of a starter. Okay, he's your, he's your depth guy. Uh, if you're counting on him for 160-plus innings this year, there's going to be some problems, you know, uh, over the course of things. He is serviceable at best. So they need to upgrade there. Uh, they need Verlander to come back. But here we are on May 2nd, and he's not even throwing a baseball. And he hasn't thrown a baseball in anger in uh, several weeks. So even if everything goes perfectly from today forward, when are they getting him back? I mean, is June 1st even realistic? I'm not even sure it is. So if we were going to sit here today and put the over-under – on innings pitched for Justin Verlander, where would you put it? I mean, I'm thinking 99 and a half. Where, what would you say over under on 99 and a half for him? Uh, in terms of uh, days before he comes back? No, innings pitched for the year. 99 and a half. Oh, innings, innings pitched for the year. Sorry, I missed, I missed the, the key uh, factor okay. there. Boy, that's, boy, that's <laughs> a really good question. I'm, I'm, I'll take the over on that. I, I think they need the over. over. I, mean, <laughs> I mean, that's not even <laughs> talking about how effective he is. Because last year his effectiveness was questionable at times, but I think right now they just need his availability, and then that's what's in question. Um, and if I was going 99 and a half right now, the way we sit, when he has to throw, I mean, I, is he going to pitch before the All Star break? I think that's a legitimate question right now. So getting yeah, 100 innings out of him could be a challenge. Yeah, I believe that question came up with uh, Brad Osmus earlier this week, and he wouldn't comment on it. And he said we something to the effect of, you know, we hope to get him back you know, before the all-star break, the, the, the going uh, news, at least that I saw yesterday is that after this MRI, if he gets the all clear on the MRI, he still needs several weeks or what they call a spring training of sorts to get himself back into, you know, get himself ready to pitch in the major leagues again. And that will be, you know, at least until June. Oh, they're going to have to go on that whole, you know, pitch count progression that they put him on. You know, we're going to hear an outing where he did, you know, 30 pitches in the bullpen, then he did a 60-pitch bullpen, and then he pitched, you know, a, a three-inning simulated game, and then he went to the minors and threw 40 pitches, and then 60 pitch. I'm just making up numbers, but you know how that goes. Uh, that mm-hmm. that all takes some time. <laughs> so, um, yeah. and yeah. little by little, the season's going to get eaten away. And those are all innings that right now Kyle Lobstein would have to cover. Uh, or at some point, you know, Dave Dombrowski is going to have to think about bringing in a starting pitching uh uh, starting pitcher from somewhere. The name floating around is, uh, at least uh, in the minds of some fans, is Buck Farmer, who seems to be doing quite well again in Toledo. Uh, he got at least one spot start last year. Um, what yeah. do you think about the possibilities of, of, of Lobstein going back down or at least maybe moving to the bullpen and uh, Buck Farmer coming up to kind of fill those next couple spot starts? Um, I think as long as Lobstein is doing what he did last night, I think you stick with him. Um, I think Buck Farmer is intriguing. He's got the, one of the best names in baseball. I love it. So I'm a huge Buck Farmer fan just on name value alone. I want him to make it. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, uh, in terms of what he would give over Kyle Lobstein, I, I think you might be talking about six and one, half a dozen or the other, to be honest. I mean, maybe he's yeah. slightly better. He throws harder. Uh, he might generate a few more Ks or that. I'm actually interested in 
at some point, someday, seeing Buck Farmer out of the bullpen. Uh, I liked one of the outings. He came in last year, and he was uh, – they, they sent him in a relief in a mop-up role, and he came out firing 97, you know. And uh, right. I don't think he throws that hard when he's starting and trying to conserve things. Um, but I'm interested in seeing him uh, as a bullpen option come in and air it out sometimes because I think that's where the Tigers are a little bit uh, lacking is in some hard-throwing bullpen options. <laughs> or bullpen options at all, so it seems. Yeah, but no, I, I exactly. tend to I tend to agree with you know where you're coming from there. Saying it, I'm not sure that you get a, a huge advantage with Farmer over Lobstein. Six of one and a half dozen the other is a good way to put it. Um, the only I think maybe the possible benefit there is simply to uh, what am I trying to say? If Lobstein has been throwing. He's thrown a couple of games now. You wonder about the level of exposure, I guess. You know, uh, yes. that, that once well, he's that, been exposed. Once they go, you know, kind of build the book on Lobstein, does his effectiveness decrease, and then you go with Farmer as a bit of a surprise move. Yeah, you know, I think that's a legitimate idea. You know, uh, just keep changing it up so that the league's always seeing a new face and the, there is no book on them. I, I, I can see that. That makes some sense. You bet. Yeah. We talked for a minute about this uh, this made-up statistic that you sent me over email, and, and now I have to like tell the parents, if you have small children in the room, you have to leave because now we're <laughs> going to start cursing. <laughs> you've, you've talked about the um, the AKR, AKR. The, the ass-kicked ratio, or we could call it the over-my-head ratio, uh, which is to say that the Tigers have lost, they've lost four games so far by seven or more runs. So that's half of their losses, where they've lost by seven or more runs. That's uh, 17%, you said, of all of the games so far, leading up through Thursday. Yep. Um, you're posing some interesting questions here. I mean, is a loss just a loss is a loss? Or does it say something more uh, when they're when they're getting their, you know, handed to them? Yeah, <laughs> um, I'm with you. Uh, more often. Yeah. It was just kind of or, a fun thing or, I noticed. I mean, they, they've gotten creamed several times this year, and I'm just – I would love to be, you know, um, skilled enough with the baseball reference play index to kind of dig through some numbers. I'm sure we have someone on staff who could uh, and just get an idea of how often do good baseball teams, like, you know, upper division baseball teams get blown out. Because <laughs> it sure seems like the Tigers, um, when they score one or two runs and the bullpen gets trying to, you know, keep a lid on things, they have the potential to have some really ugly scores. Um, and I thought last night when it was 4 nothing in the second inning, I thought we were heading for another one on the uh, AKR. <laughs> but, mm. but luckily they hung in there and uh, kept it close, and Mr. Lobstein got the job done. But, uh, yeah, it's just they've, we've had some really ugly baseball games. We've had some snoozers that you, tune up, you, know, you kind of tune out early. Um, I don't know what that means. It may just be a random sampling of four games that they got blown out in April. But it just seems like to have that many, you know, when you had, before yesterday, you had eight losses and four of them were extreme blowouts. Um, mm. When they're all clumped together like that, it just seemed like a lot. And I don't know if that's a sign of a, a bad team or or maybe the sign of nothing. Hard to say. But it's something I'm going to kind of track in my mind as we go. I think I'm going to set it at five runs or more when you lose or win by that. Okay. And <laughs> yeah, I think that's how baseball reference uh, defines a so-called blowout anyway. And they do have some, you know, statistics on that. Uh, I'm looking at uh, the 2013 Red Sox right now, and it says that they lost 13 of their games in 2013 by, by five or more runs. So it does, I mean, it, it okay. does happen, uh, even with World Series champions, but that's, uh, you know, like you said, to have them kind of clumped so close together so early in the year, 
you know, you have to kind of wonder what that's actually, you know, indicative of. Um, yeah. Whether that's just uh, it seems like we're getting drilled I mean, every other day. <laughs> right, and that and that can be obviously a one of two things or a combination of both. That's either just an offense that's gone wrong, so they're not able to you know to score the runs to close that five run gap, or you know that's uh, we we all know the problems with the bullpen. Although right. you know, and too looking back at some of these recent games too, it, it's it's been a case of uh, bad starteritis too, because as, as we were talking about. Shane Green, who's been great his first several outings, has taken two beatings in a row. Now, what yep. do you see with Green? And is is it, you know, has the regression really set in? Is he going to bounce back? What's what's the situation with Green? Well, my initial inclination after that first time he got bounced around was that it, the regression was coming because the first few outings he was he was basically striking out nobody. I mean, extreme low percentage of batters. Uh, so it was only a matter of time before all those balls in play were going to start finding holes. Um, mm. But then in that last outing, he actually did strike out some batters, uh, but he was giving up, you know, you know, very solid contact. Uh, seems like he's up in the zone a little bit. Uh, he's not generating the ground balls the last couple outings that he did the first uh, three or four outings. So... You know, he just kind of needs to get back into that ground ball mentality, but hopefully keep some of those strikeouts because, you know, the way the game is today, strikeouts are huge. Uh, and uh, he was striking out, I think, through the first three starts, something like 13% of the batters, which is extremely low. Whereas even last year uh, when he pitched, I believe, 80 innings for the Yankees and had some success, he was striking out about 23 or 24% of the batters, uh, which is a much more representative number. And I think something that leads to a lot more success. Uh, so I'm hopeful that that last outing we saw in, in, in Minnesota, you know, he was solid through three. Then they got to him, but he was striking out some batters. So I'm hopeful that, you know, with Jeff Jones and you know, working together, they can kind of find a happy medium uh, toward keeping that ball down and getting his ground balls, but also keeping that strikeout rate up. You know, maybe I'm asking for a lot there from him, but. Uh, that's what I'd like to see. Uh, so I'm, for for Shane Green, I'm I'm really monitoring that strikeout rate. Yeah, it was that last game against Minnesota was a real head scratcher. The the, the uh, final line for Shane Green was very strange when you looked at certain numbers to say that he went to a four and a thirds inning and gave up no walks. Great, he struck out eight. Yeah, I mean that's 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 huge for you know four and a third innings. And yet, of course, you know the rest of the story is he gave up nine hits and then gave up seven earned runs on top of that. Uh, after his first three outings of only giving up the one earned run, his last two uh, outings combined, he's given up 15 earned yeah. runs. <laughs> you have to kind of wonder, have they, you know, is it just a bad day? Am I leaving the ball up in the zone too much? Or, you know, have, have they, uh, have they built the book on me and sent it round and people know what's going on now? <laughs> so they know what to expect. But I like what you're, what you're saying is, you know, that you got to watch that strikeout rate because that's going to be a huge indicator, I think. He, I just think he needs to get closer to where he was with the Yankees last year because last year when he had his success, uh, his ground ball rate was in the Porcello range. It was, I, I don't have it in front of me, but it was around 51, 52%, which is great. And he was striking out 23, 24% of the batters. Um, that's a formula for success. So if he can get those numbers kind of back in line, um, with that, I, I think he'll be okay. I don't think he's a world beater. Uh, you know, I think at best he's going to be a 3-4 starter. 
but that's good. That's okay. I mean, you need those. <laughs> every every team needs one. Uh, so he's not as good as those first three starts. He's not as bad as these last two disaster starts. Uh, we just need him to kind of find his level and, and settle in in the middle. And, uh, you know, just hopefully become a guy who can pump out a representative number of quality starts. And I think if he does that, then uh, he's very satisfactory in that role. Yeah, agreed, definitely. And then he's certainly, uh, you know, drawn ref- uh, parallel references to Rick Porcello so far. Uh, I think rightly so. Those comparisons are probably on point and, and certainly – now, even in this dimension, we're seeing some of that as well. Because if you recall, you know, if Porcello was keeping the ball down and, and being that ground ball pitcher, he didn't generate a, a lot of strikeouts either, but he could be extremely right. efficient. He could go eight, nine innings and shut the other team out just with those, you know, pesky ground ball pitches. But if he wasn't on, if he wasn't throwing those pitches low in the zone, he could get absolutely hammered by the opposition. Oh, no question about it. <laughs> Absolutely. Oh, it would have been fun, though. I would have loved to have seen Rick Porcello in front of the defense the Tigers run out there now. I think yeah. that's, that would have been oh. that would have been something to see. I mean, it would have been a big improvement to his numbers in general. But, yeah. you know, that yeah. wasn't the case. But I, I, I see what you're saying about Green. I think Green has some Porcello uh, tendencies to him, and that, there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, Rick Porcello uh, took the ball every time out, and he was a big part of several division mini rotations. So, uh, if if uh, Shane Green can be that guy, or even close, that's uh, pretty good. And so we hope that uh, Green bounces back with some more of those great Porcello-like starts that we saw last year, going the the full nine with the shutouts and pitches under a hundred, yeah. pitch count under a hundred, I should say. That would be just fantastic for the for the rotation right now. Let's well, shift gears deep, a little bit and talk about. Sorry. Oh, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. Sorry. No, it's just. Uh, I wanted to shift gears a little bit and talk about the uh, the offense problem that we've been seeing. Um, yep. As you said, you know it's, it seems to have gone cold a little bit. I mean, that's not that's ruling out Wednesday's game, which was amazing, coming back from behind, uh, you know, seven to three to win that game against the Twins. But focusing specifically on on Victor Martinez and his slightly slow, cold start. I mean, we know he had the the knee surgery. We know he missed a lot of. Uh, you know, prep time in the off season, and it's going to take him a little while to heat up. But we're looking at a cleanup hitter uh, who, as of today, is is batting two twenty one um, with uh, an OPS of five seventy three. Uh, he's still getting on base at a three thirty seven clip, but the slugging is down to you know two thirty five, and that's just I think not what you want to see out of your you know out of your number four hitter. Um, how long you know how long is it going to be before we see Martinez become a real uh, viable threat again? Well, it's 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 bad right now. I mean, it it looks bad. He he, he taps out. He right now he's tapping out to second and jogging down to first. And he's out by twenty feet, and it's not a lot of fun to watch. He's had, I think, one extra base hit, and even that one was when he kind of sliced down the right field line, batting from the right side, and it bounced into the seats. I think if it hadn't bounced into the seats, that would have been a single the way he's moving. So um, there are some real issues there. Uh, I guess you got to hope that you look back to his last time that he came back in 2013 from knee surgery and he was pretty bad, you know, for the first two and a half, three months of the season. And then he got himself healthy and he took off in the second half and he had a 
you know, an epic second half and led into last year when he was fantastic. Uh, that's the best case. I mean, we got to hope that that's what they see uh, from the remainder of this year. Uh, I just have questions. I mean, that's that's one of the reasons I was kind of – I was Switzerland when it came to signing Victor uh, to this new deal. I mean, I can see why they hmm. did it. Uh, he was coming off a fantastic year. He was a big part of the lineup. Um, you know, from all everything we see, great teammate, great guy to have in that clubhouse. But uh, at the same time, they're locking in a four-year deal to a guy with a pretty long injury sheet who doesn't play defense, who can't run. Um, and these are the kind of things that could crop up. It just so happened that it cropped up right away. <laughs> and, and we're seeing... Uh, a month of of uh, very low production, and it's taking a toll on the lineup. And I think you know mentioned earlier how they're scoring two runs or less so often. I think a big reason is obviously they are getting nothing out of the cleanup role. Uh, when you bat behind Miguel Cabrera, you always and Ian Kinsler for that matter, but especially Cabrera, you always have base runners on. I mean, so you have a lot of opportunities. You need that power threat um, sitting in that four hole to knock those runners in. I mean, I'm not a big guy in terms of RBIs, but I'm a big guy in terms of, uh, you know, the role of power in the game, uh, especially at the top of the lineup. Uh, so right now they are getting no bang for their buck over Miguel Cabrera's, you know, 440 uh, on base percentage, or it's even higher, whatever it is now, uh, because they're not, moving the, they're not moving the train along with Victor being really a sinkhole uh, at that part of the lineup. So something's got to change, you know, uh, if they're going to drop it, does dropping Victor do the job and putting Cespedes in the four hole? Uh, that might be where I'd go if this continues much longer, if Victor doesn't show signs of life. Because right now he's basically doing the, the wee Willie Keeler routine, the hit him where they ain't. I mean, that's, <laughs> that's basically the best you can hope for with Victor right now. And that's not your four hole guy. Um, and, the couple that with J.D. Martinez, he's got a 280 on base percentage. I mean, his slugging is at 500, and that's fantastic, but um, he is showing some signs that I don't care for lately either. So um, there are some yeah. issues brewing in the middle of the lineup. Yeah, definitely. Like you said, the, the trouble with Martinez and Martinez this year is that they're certainly not as hot as they were last year. That was a serious threat in the lineup, that one-two punch of Martinez and Martinez. And, uh, you know, certainly Victor seems to, uh, what, you know, we watched last night, we watched him go out there and take a very professional 11 pitch at bat and doing what Victor can do and, and uh, not chasing the bad pitches and following off the ones that he needed to foul off and eventually working that 11 pitch at bat to a walk. It was a thing of yep. beauty. It was a thing of art. And uh, so that, you know, is encouraging for me to see. You say that's, you know, that's the old Victor. Now if we can just add a dose of power to that, then uh, you know, then we've got a good yep. thing going. And Brad Osman said the other day that he thinks Victor's really close to being back to where he was. But following that beautiful at bat, we saw J.D. Martinez <laughs> come to the plate and promptly whiff on three pitches. And so, like you said, the on base percentage at 280—that's that's you know that's got to come up a little bit. The, the OPS of 780 is okay, but you know, to me, I'm looking at this, his stats, and the one that stands out is that 31% strikeout rate. Yep. And that's just something that's uh, that's not terribly encouraging. When you got a situation like last night, and the uh, you know the base is loaded, the Tigers finally mount a threat against the Royals, and uh, to have the guy come up and just you know hack at the plate three straight pitches and see you later. That's 
that's never going to cut it. That probably goes right up there for worst at bat of the year. Uh, it was just <laughs> horrendous. I mean, to watch uh, to watch Chris Young walk three batters, and uh, to watch Victor battle and battle and really, you know, do a great job uh, for for JV to come up and just be in hack mode and swing at absolute garbage pitches was unbelievably disappointing. Uh, Cespedes was no better, but you know, at least. I don't know. He took a pitch. <laughs> I guess we'll say that. But um, but for JD, yeah, that strikeout rate is going up. Uh, that's not encouraging. But it's also coupled with his walk rate being slightly less than last year. And his walk rate last year wasn't very good to begin with. So uh, he was getting a lot of success on contact last year. Now this year he's still getting a lot of power when he does make contact, and that's great. I think his isolated power is something like 250, and that's outstanding, uh, but unfortunately his contact rate is going down and it's going to be a matter of you know, does he get hot and get that contact rate back up? Uh, that's going to be pretty big for this team moving forward. They needed J.D. Martinez uh, to be real. Uh, last year's J.D. Martinez to be real. Uh, that was kind of a, a given going into this year that this is going to be successful here. They needed him. And he's shown signs. He's got six homers. Uh, he's had some big hits. But there's some signs I don't like either, as, as you mentioned. Hello? Hello? Hey, John, are you still there? Hello? Yeah, I'm here. I'm here. <laughs> I'm not sure what Hello? happened there. Right? Uh, yeah, I think my uh, internet connection just went completely out there. Uh, so if you can hear me now. Okay. I can hear you now. <laughs> Can you hear me now? Okay, sorry about that. Oh, the wonders the of modern technology. Said, what's the last thing I said uh, that you were you talking, heard? <laughs> well, you were you were talking about uh, Cespedes coming up after JD Martinez. I was about to say that you know it's one thing to call JD Martinez is that bat the worst that we've seen all year, but I, I thought that uh, Cespedes is that bat was probably a good runner up. Oh, no question. They're one A and one B. Uh, I agree with that. You know, J.D., it's going to be very important this year for last year's J.D. Martinez to be real. Um, and we've seen signs this year. I mean, he's got his six homers. Uh, he's had some big hits. He's helping out in, on defense and right field over Torrey Hunter's efforts out there. But uh, the way that contact rate is going right now, I'm a little concerned. I mean, last year's walk rate wasn't very good to begin with, and it's even lower. And now his strikeout rate is up. So he's striking out more, walking less. Um, and, you know, when you say his success is all built on power on contact, well, that's kind of reliant then on his contact rate being decent and not going in the wrong direction. So uh, what's he going to show us in the next few weeks? I'm uh, very interested. J.D. Martinez is, uh, boy, I, I think he's probably their third most important offensive player, maybe fourth, uh, and I don't like some of the things I'm seeing. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not, like, overly worried, but it definitely bears watching. And we will certainly be able to pick that up, that thread, uh, this evening when the Tigers face the Royals. And we saw, we were just looking at before the show, John, we were looking at the uh, pitching matchup, David Price uh, versus Edison Volquez. And that's going to be a, a fun matchup. It's going to be interesting to see now with, with uh, I, I hate to say it, but, you know, a legit starter for the Tigers. 
you know, the number one, the ace, go to the mound against this team to see what, what Kansas City is really made of when they have to deal with, with David Price. Yep. Well, it's going to be uh, – that's one where having Alcides Escobar on the uh, disabled list, you know, that moves Alex Gordon up to the top of the order in front of Moustakas. So uh, three of their first four batters uh, with uh, Moustakas, Hosmer, and Gordon are lefties. So you've got to hope that you know, David Price has that platoon matchup in his favor and he can kind of keep the top of their order in check. Uh, and hopefully that's a big part of the game tonight is to keep those three guys uh, off base and keep them quiet. And if so, you know, then I think he should match up pretty well with the rest of their lineup. Good. Now, as we shift gears one more time, John, and start to wind down the program, uh, let's, let's move outside the central a, a little bit and uh, look mm-hmm. elsewhere in baseball because the Tigers are off to a hot start. The Royals are off to a hot start. There are two other teams that seem to be keeping pace, and that's the St. Louis Cardinals, which everyone kind of expects because we know they made a deal with the devil years ago. But the, <laughs> the other team that's keeping up this pace that is a bit of a surprise is the Houston Astros. Yeah. Uh, now, I know it's early. I know it's April. Well, now it's May. But, you know, we watched the standings a little bit last year and kind of laughed at, you know, the fact that the Miami Marlins were sitting in first place for a long time uh, during that first month of baseball. But there's something about this uh, this run by the Houston Astros that kind of makes you wonder. Maybe this isn't just a weird, you know, early start fluke kind of thing, kind of a statistical anomaly. Uh, tell me, what are your thoughts on the Astros this year? I think that you're seeing um, the you know the genesis of a of a really good solid baseball team. We need to call them the first place Houston Astros right now. <laughs> they actually have a better record than the Tigers. I think they have a lot of young talent. Yeah. An Astros fan, I'd be pretty excited because uh, they have a lot of young guys who, you know, as things progress as you would imagine, they're only going to get better throughout the year. Uh, you know, I don't think these are uh, veterans overperforming for a month and they're going to settle back down to their level. Um, these are young guys who uh, potentially could take their game to a, to the next level. Uh, when you look at George Springer, uh, boy, there's all the mm. talent in the world there. I mean, that guy's got the power-speed combo, defense combo, I and mean, it's all there. Uh, I like Altuve, obviously. Who doesn't? <laughs> and then they right. have some young guys coming up through their system, too, um, that they should be able to plug in at some point and getting potentially get a boost there. Uh, and they've done a good job. I mean, you know, Dallas Keuchel and Colin McHugh, I mean, who saw that coming two years ago? as guys who are going to be cornerstones of a rotation. But um, they've pitched enough now where it looks real. It doesn't look like it's something that uh, is just a flash in the pan of, uh, of some anonymous guy who's going to you know, go away in, in six weeks. Um, those guys, uh, starting last year, uh, started cranking out start after start after start. So they have uh, you know, a good front office and a pretty good base of talent. I think they're, I think they're in it for a while. Yeah, it's hard to disagree with that. I mean, you know, when you look at a record like 16 and 7 and the way that the Kansas City Royals are wearing that record, you know, you want to say, okay, well, that, they're, they're a legitimate contender. But, you know, how much of that is influenced by the fact that they were actually in the playoffs last year and made it to the World Series, whereas a team like the Houston Astros is wearing that exact same record right now. They are 9-1 and one of their last 10. They're on an eight-game winning streak. Hard to uh, hard to kind of sweep that under the rug and say, well, it's just uh, it's just a fluke. So, be very interesting to keep our eyes on that situation developing in the American League West. I'm not sure I'm ready to live in a world, John, where the Astros are <laughs> are a contender. Yeah, I think it'd be a lot of fun. I I like watching the young club um, improve and get better. I mean, 
that's you know as much as I love the Tigers, obviously they're always be my team, but uh, having that fallow farm system that they have right now, there's there's not a lot. I, I like I probably get too concerned about what a young player could end up being over what a current player is, <laughs> but it's fun to daydream about young players and how, how good they're going to get and, and what level they could take your team to. So if I was a fan of the Astros or even the Chicago Cubs right now, I'd be pretty excited. I mean, there's just a lot of nice young talent there. Exactly, exactly. Well, John, I think we're just about out of time. I want to thank you again for stopping by and chatting this morning. Uh, can we get you back on oh, the show here fun. in the next month or so? All right, sounds great. All right. We'll be seeing uh, you. Why don't you tell the listeners where they where they can find you online? Oh, very good. Yeah, my uh, Twitter, I'm at youper underscore Iowa. Uh, so that's uh, Y-O-O-P-E-R underscore I-A. Um, I kind of poke around at the periphery there. Uh, and then, you know, hopefully I'll have a few more things at BYB over the next month. All right. Sounds great. John, we'll see you next time. All right. Thanks a lot. Have a great weekend. You too. And that's going to do it for another episode of the Bless You Boys podcast. I want to thank John Ericola again for stopping by and joining me today. As you mentioned, you can find John's writings at Bless You Boys, uh, com. You can also find him on Twitter at Uper underscore IA. That's Y-O-O-P-E-R underscore IA. You can find me on Twitter at HooksLideBYB or get in touch with me at uh, HooksLideBYB at gmail.com. Go ahead and drop me a line. Say hello. Love to hear from you. That's all from the virtual studio in West Michigan, and we will see you next Saturday at 10 o'clock on the next Bless You Boys podcast. There's never been a corner like Michigan and Trumbull. Ha, 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 that'll get him out of the old ballpark.